Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Economist. From The Economist in London, this is Money Talks, a weekly conversation around themes in business, finance, and economics. I'm Stan Penyal, the banking editor, and joining me this week are Henry Kerr, our Britain economics correspondent, and Callum Williams, our economics correspondent. We're heavy on economies this week, specifically those starting with the letter U, it seems. We're going to start by looking at the US, then the UK, and finally the Ukraine. Callum, let's start with America. The jobs report on Friday uh, showed that there were about 200,000 new jobs created in April. Unemployment is now at around 5.4%, lower than anyone would have expected even a year ago. Is the situation as rosy as it seems from the outside? Well, of course, lots of jobs are certainly a good thing. And the unemployment rate is very low. But there are a number of things which worry economists about the American economy at the moment. Uh, The first thing to bear in mind is that the jobs data over the last few months hasn't actually been all that good. So the uh, the jobs numbers for March were revised down quite considerably to fewer than 100,000 extra jobs created that month. But most worryingly of all is the latest figures on GDP growth. So in the first quarter of this year, some people are saying that the American economy didn't grow at all. The first estimate was 0.2% growth in GDP. Some people are sort of linking this, uh, strangely enough, to the fall in oil prices, which everyone thought was going to be great news. But because oil firms have been you know, cutting back very, very sharply on investment, that's kind of trickled through. And so economies like Texas and North Dakota and Wyoming and places like that are seeing kind of big falls in jobs. Texas might actually be in recession at the moment. So no, uh, a simple answer is it's not all good news. Callum, one would expect the lower oil price to filter into more money into consumers' pockets. That should increase demand in the wider economy. I mean, even though the oil price has come up a little bit uh, recently, you would still think that the rest of the economy would benefit. No, you're absolutely right. So, um, you know, compared to this time last year, roughly speaking, uh, the average American is paying about a quarter less for a gallon of petrol. Economists are puzzled as to why the fall in oil price hasn't you know, translated into higher consumer spending. It might be to do with the fact that wage growth has been pretty kind of measly over the last few years. And so people are not really in the mood to splash out. And the other important thing which is going on is that in the first few months of this year, particularly in the northeast, the weather was really, really bad. And people don't basically go out and go to the shops. And so uh, consumer spending falls. And so uh, strangely enough, the oil price fall has coincided with a real slowing in the American economy, which is what no economists would have predicted. But it could be a coincidence rather than a cause is what you're saying. It could be, yes. But as I say, the, the fall in investment is a big deal. And it's a very big deal in the oil producing states. You know, so Texas is you know, the 12th largest economy in the world. It's a massive economy. And it is still very dependent on oil to power its growth. And you are seeing falls in employment in Texas, the like of which we haven't seen since the Great Recession. So it's not just a coincidence. It is actually to do with the oil price fall in some ways. Henry, let's move to our second U, the United Kingdom. In Britain, the Conservative Party has gained a surprising majority in Parliament, giving it a free hand to implement its budget plans. Its aspirations, though, will have to be tailored to the health of the economy. 
What are the issues that George Osborne, who remains as Chancellor, might have to grapple with? So you're right that the Conservatives were re-elected largely on the basis of their economic record. But the irony is that the problems the British economy faces are not ones which George Osborne is empowered to address directly. So the British economy won't have fully recovered until two things happen. The first thing is that interest rates rise. At the moment, this is staying this way for now, interest rates are 0.5%, which is just about as low as they can go. This means that the economy is vulnerable to a negative demand shock because the Bank of England wouldn't be able to lower rates much further in response. So interest rates need to rise. And of course, that's not something that George Osborne is empowered to do. The second thing that needs to happen is that labour productivity needs to increase. Previously, over the last few years, the British economy has grown primarily by adding more jobs. But the capacity to do that is now being eroded. And so instead of putting more people into work, people are going to have to be more productive at the office. And again, productivity is not something that governments, in the short run at least, can influence that easily. The lacklustre productivity of the British workforce is emerging as a real theme now. What can the government do to tackle it? So governments can influence productivity over a kind of horizon of several years, by investing in infrastructure, investing in skills, and that sort of thing. But when you're looking on an electoral cycle of just five years, it might be quite difficult for them to do so. However, were the new government to suddenly ramp up infrastructure, massively increase spending on housing, transport, inner city broadband, this kind of stuff, then maybe towards the back end of the parliament, you would see that paying off. But really, it's a long-term problem rather than a short-term one. Going back to interest rates, surely... They won't rise until inflation picks up. The Bank of England on Wednesday is issuing its inflation report. It hasn't said very much in the last few weeks. It's silent during election periods. Is there anything that we can expect? So it'll be very interesting to see whether the Bank of England does change its forecasts very much. As you say, they can't say anything during the election campaign, but the quarterly inflation report is the opportunity they have to signal to the markets their most up-to-date thinking on the path of interest rates. So it might be that during the election campaign, the Bank of England economists have been burrowed away and now have something more to tell us. And it will be something to watch. and We may be able to say more come Wednesday. And lastly, Callum, back to you on Ukraine. You recently visited Kiev. We've written a lot about Ukraine, uh, but specifically on the political and security situation. Uh, Both of those, in a sense, are framed by the health of its economy. One would guess it's not doing that brilliantly. But what did you find? Well, no, you guessed absolutely correctly. The economy is doing extremely badly at the moment. First quarter GDP was down 15% year on year, which is entering into full-blown depression territory inflation's above 60%. So it's doing not very well at all. What's happening is that the IMF is basically keeping the economy from going into bankruptcy, and it's making a number of kind of bridging loans to allow Ukraine to pay off the foreign debt that's coming due. And that's obviously a good thing, because no one wants Ukraine to go into default unnecessarily. The big question that's hanging over the economy at the moment is whether it's able to reform, because it's one of the most pervasively corrupt places in the world. There's lots of amazing anecdotes about how corruption works on a day-by-day basis. And here, progress has been a bit mixed. And so some people are feeling pretty gloomy about the economic prospects. You say corruption is the biggest issue. There is the small matter of a civil war and part of eastern Ukraine being dominated by the Russians. Absolutely. I mean, the Ukrainian government is very fond of saying that it's only 7% of the country that's at war and 93% isn't. It is still true to say that Russia essentially has a veto over Ukraine's economic future in that if it were to invade other parts of eastern Ukraine, try and take over Mariupol or even go 
further towards Kiev, you know, investors would flee even faster, the currency would collapse and all this sort of stuff. Having said that, people in the government say, well, actually, this is the time to start reforming. And the reason they say that is because people in Ukraine realise the scale of the problem and are willing to make the kind of sacrifices which in normal economic times they wouldn't make. So it's slightly paradoxical, but a lot of people are saying this is exactly the moment when Ukraine has to really seize the day. Henry, Callum, thanks both very much. That's all we have time for this week. For more coverage of business, finance and economics, you can visit economist.com. From London, this is The Economist. The Economist.